Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. So let's then go into where we're at with Abraham and his call. And what I've called this is the danger of self-preservation. Now, naturally, inside of all of us that God has given us is a desire for self-preservation. That's actually a good thing. It's a gift that we desire to live, right? And you can see this sometimes in, in people who are in hospitals, that their desire to live will really help them through things they're struggling with. Uh, if someone gives up the desire to live and, and not preserve themselves, they really go down fast. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen that? Someone just gives up and then they, they start uh, tanking uh, health-wise. So it's a good thing, but here's the thing. If you go beyond what you're supposed to do and you get into the point where you go so far in self-preservation that you're running in fear and not trusting the Lord to provide, you're going to hit a brick wall. You're going to cause chaos. You're going to cause a mess. And all kinds of things will ensue, which we're going to see from Abraham. So um, I'll give you an example. With all the stuff that I'm going to show you and, and I have been showing you, it's probably good to have some food storage uh, in your house, have some water, you know, a generator or uh, batteries and things like that, you know, because we don't know what's coming. We hear a lot of crazy stuff. So it's good to, to have some supplies on hand, but you can go too far. If you get so many supplies that you're ready for a nuclear holocaust that will last 20 years, I think you've went a little too far. And with that being said, there's a limit, right? So you, you have to be smart, you have to be wise to prepare. But dude, at the end of the day, you can't pre prepare for everything. And so you're gonna have to trust God to provide and, and, and protect. And that's what Abraham's gonna do. And so this is not a, a negation of self-preservation. It's, let's, I, I, we have to balance that out with faith. How much are we trusting the Lord? Right? So for instance, let's say you, you went to Daryl Storage and you have 20 years of a nuclear holocaust to be able to survive it, right? And you, you, you dug an underground bunker in your backyard. What would happen if the bomb hit you on your house? Well, then forget it. It's over. Or what if someone went to Daryl Storage and stole all your food for 20 years? Then what? You see what I'm saying? There's all these variables in life that you and I can't plan for, but God knows. So that's, that's what we're going to learn from this this situation. I'm going to break the, 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 the passage in two parts because it's a huge test and it has so many ramifications, believe it or not, that are affecting us today. Abraham will make a mistake that is now affecting the world system right now. I'll explain that in just a bit. So this is a biggie, okay? This is not the beat up Abraham is to watch him as he, he has faith and he's embryonically stepping out. Obviously, he's a new believer, and so he doesn't know the ropes yet. He will be, become the man of faith, no doubt. But he's like us when we were new at, at, at our faith, right? We have a default to go back into paganism when we get scared or when we fear, we just go back to our default mode. 
and the way we managed life and stuff. And that's what he's going to do. So he's, he's learning as he goes. So it's just a picture really of us. So, so I don't want to beat up Abraham. It's really us. So here's an example of what's going on with self-preservation going beyond what it's supposed to be. Okay? And we all learned this, right? That, you know, three years ago, we had Charlie Oscar Victor Igloo Delta, uh, one niner that came to us, and we believed that it was planned, and now we, we call it the, 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 well, I can't even say this, P-L-A-N-D-E-M-I-C-K, M-I-C-K-E-Y, uh, um, you got me, okay, it's planned, blank, okay, so anyway, we saw that, and then we saw them pushing this, and then people went crazy, right? Because of fear. They were pushed into compliance because of fear. And we saw believers being pushed into compliance because of fear. We saw churches being pushed into compliance. I just talked to somebody that in our middle service that, that drove all the way from Exeter uh, to visit with us, and because they say all the churches are no good where we're at, and so we have to drive, and we watch you online, we, have to, we drive to Bakersfield uh, to be able to watch you, which is incredible, right? But it's... it's but it's sad in the sense that, what do you mean there's no churches in, he's no, none in Tulare, none in Exeter. I'm like, what in the world? And we have people from Fresno say there's nothing in Fresno. It's really a wasteland, you know? But anyway, they, they, they come down there and he was telling me that, yeah, of course they follow the mandates. Of course they shut down the churches. Of course, they go, our pastor, he goes, they were one step away of lining everyone and putting an injection in their arm. That's how much they promoted the whole thing. Right? And it's like, wow, that's crazy. But why? It was out of fear. And so you see these people even today, right? You know, they're doing this, right? Anyway, that's, that's because they don't trust God. But we have things threatening us. There's no doubt about it. And what, and, and what I want you to understand is Abraham's life is paralleling your life, okay? And my life. So Abraham's going to get hit with a threat, to his life. Same thing with us. Our lives are being threatened. So look what look at the next thing that's threatening us right now. Biden is preparing to enter the United States into a legally binding agreement with the World Health Organization, who's in bed with China, by the way, that would grant the entity authority to mandate Americans' health care policies in the event of a future pandemic. I'm, excuse me, I don't want a globalist organization telling me what I can do health-wise. Uh, that's crazy. And of course, Joe Biden's crazy enough to do this because he's following, he's just following orders. But nonetheless, that's a threat to you and I. So some globalist is going to be telling me, yeah, you know, we're going to vaccine your kids with this uh, new experimental drug and, and you must comply if you want to buy things and sell things in our digital economy. This is a threat to us. If it's a threat, what are we supposed to do? Well, you have to know how to handle the threats. We'll talk about that, okay? But again, what I'm trying to point out is Abraham's being threatened, you're being threatened at the same time. And then with this whole medical thing, we have all these young people dropping dead. No explanations. Every day I'm looking at the news, so-and-so, 25 years old, dead. 40-year-old, dead. 35-year-old, and all these are young people, and some of them are athletes, um, this guy's 28, he just drops dead. UNLV defensive lineman, 20, he just drops dead. And we don't know the reasons. And by the way, they never tell you after the fact why they died. Something's up. This sudden death syndrome, global, global. 
What else is, uh, we got crazy people, okay? This crazy doctor, Florida physician, allegedly called for the unvaccinated to be shot to death in a Nazi-style firing line. Now, now, you look at that and you're like, that dude's psycho. Yeah, but he's, he's a doctor. He, he is, it's not about of intelligence because he's high, probably high IQ. But understand that he, this is a spiritual problem because he's following the government as God and says uh, the, these unvaccinated are a threat to him, a threat to society, which is what they said during the time. That's why we call, we're called the murdering church. And I wear it proudly that we're the murdering church, by the way. Um, but anyway... Um, I mean, that's, that's the psychos that we're dealing with now. That's a threat when people think like that. Okay, so now let's go to Abraham's threat. Now, here's the thing that he's threatened with. Now, there was a famine in the land. Okay, threat. We're going we're gonna to either starve to death, you know, staying in this land, because Israel is heavily dependent on rain. Okay, if Israel doesn't get rain, boom, you have a fa- famine. And it happened quite often. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, if there's no rain, the, uh, the Mount Hermon doesn't get any snow caps. And then that water that comes from Mount Hermon goes into the Jordan. So the Jordan will just dry up if there's no snow cap on Mount Hermon and the other sources that, come, that feed into the Jordan River. So Israel is dependent on rain. And why are they dependent on rain? To show their dependence on God providing rain. So a famine hits. So that threatens Abraham, Sarah. That threatens the, the whole community that's around him that came with him in the land, and it's not very many. By the time they go into Egypt um, it, under uh, Jacob, there's only like 70 people. So it's, it's pretty small. Let's say, let's, let's just 50 people, okay, that are with Abraham. So everyone's at risk, and what's at risk is the promise of God making him a great nation. So what is he going to do? Well, here's the thing. What would you do? You're threatened. I'm going to lose my job. I can't provide for my kids. They're putting a digital currency. They're putting me in a 15-minute city. They're telling me I can, I can only use a certain amount of gas, but yet I commute for an hour. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And that's Abraham. He's threatened in his life. What are you going to do? Look what he does. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. Thank you very much biggest mistake he has ever made in his walk with the Lord. Notice what's missing in this text. What's missing? It doesn't doesn't show that, well, Abraham sought the Lord. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you, right? There's nothing. He doesn't go to God. What should I do? And he doesn't trust God, by the way, because God has already told him that if you go into the land, I will bless you. Part of the blessing is um, I will provide for you. That's part of the blessing that I will provide you there. The other thing, he's already been told, I will protect you. I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Oh, so he has provision and protection in the blessing of God that God has already stated. Go to the land and this is what I will do for you. And he doesn't, he doesn't believe it. He doubts that God can provide, and he doubts that God can protect. So you can see embryonically, he's struggling in his faith. This is a total lack of faith. It's a whole mess up right here. But it's nothing, nothing different than what you and I go through, okay? We start trying to plan our lives out. We get a threat. Oh, my gosh, this is happening. I might lose my job. I might lose. And so we start 
okay, I'll do this. We don't even pray. And, you know, I've heard people say, man, we have to pray that we've come to that? I can't figure that out. You know, it's like, oh my God, that's the first thing you should do. <laughs> Has it come to that? Uh, <laughs> everything should come to that. So anyway, people make that decision and they're like, okay, I think I'll do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna do this. Boom, now you have a problem. Look at the declension here. Look at it, it says, Abraham went down. That's very Jewish. What do you mean? When you read your Old Testament and your New Testament, especially in the life of Christ, when you see movements of the biblical characters, it will say they went down or they went up. Now, as Gentiles, you don't read anything into that. The problem is that's a very Jewish term. What do you mean? When you see the biblical characters saying they went down, it means that they're spiritually in declension and they're going down spiritually. When Abraham comes out of Egypt, it says he went up out of Egypt. The Hebrew, okay, you'll see that. They went up and then you go down. Okay, so spiritual declension means it's showing you that Abraham has moved in his faith and it, great, he stepped out, didn't know where he was going, right? And he's in the promised land and he gets to this, this point in his spiritual walk. You see, let's say this is, a, this is the, the a signpost here. It's, this is where the test is gonna be. He's got all the way to here. The, when it says he went down, it, spiritually it means he went backwards. He went backwards in his walk. Okay? This is picked up by the writer of Hebrews that says, if you're not moving forward and progressing in your walk with the Lord, you don't get to stay where you're at. You actually go backwards. And you'll start forgetting, and you'll go back to your default modes. His default mode is nothing but a pagan. Our default mode is a pagan too. And how do pagans act? Well, they act without God. That's how pagans act, and that's what he's doing here. Notice where he's going, Egypt. What's the big thing about that? Well, Egypt is a, uh, you see this in the Exodus. Egypt is a typology for the world, okay? Uh, Egypt is, a, is the one of the most powerful empires at this time and even through Moses. And uh, the thing about Egypt is, uh, I think it was the longest lasting empire with all the different dynasties that went through it. And, uh, but this became the Mecca of the world, okay? It first started in Babylon, but then Egypt took over. And, 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 and so the picture of going into Egypt is going into the world to solve your problems. So instead of going to God, he goes to the world. So as an example, instead of going to God about what should I do about this Charlie Oster, Victor Igloo Delta one-niner, and what, and what about this experimental J-A-B, Instead of going to God, people went down Anthony, Anthony Fauci. You see what I'm saying? Going to him or going to the government is like going to Egypt, right? You go back to Egypt. It's like, wait a second, wait a second. God hasn't told me what to do. If you go to the state, and this is what they're training people to do, is to become reliant on the state. In essence, be reliant on Egypt. So he's going to become reliant on the world system, Egypt. That's what Egypt represents. Now, let me explain a few things. There's a typology here. The typology is this. Abraham will move into Egypt, and then he will leave Egypt and go back to the promised land. 
that is the same pattern that his ancestors will do with Moses. Or, or first of all, with Jacob, they go into the land and, and Joseph saves them into Egypt. Remember that? And then Moses takes them out of Egypt. Okay, so there's a pattern here. What's the next typology? What does this pattern point to? Herod decides he's going to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Remember that? Where does the angel tell Mary and Joseph to take the child? Egypt. And then it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Right? So, so Israel was represented by, the, he was, the, Israel was the firstborn. He called Israel out of Egypt. And then the real firstborn, Messiah, is called out of Egypt too. Abraham is called out of Egypt. So what, Abraham's pattering, patter, uh, pattering, if I'm saying that right, pattering, pattern, eating, whatever. I'm getting tongue confused. Um, there's a picture of a typology of Abraham's actions. Now, he was wrong. Joseph's right. Mary and Joseph are right, but it's the pattern of going from the promised land into Egypt and then coming out that sets up Jesus for, for the, the end of the typology. Anyway, that's the typology being instructed here. But look what he says. He went to dwell there. It's not like a three-day vacation that we're going to have and we're going to pick up some supplies and go back. No, no. He's going to dwell there as long as he needs to. Well, that's a problem because God never told him to go and dwell in Egypt. He told him to dwell in the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. So we have another disobedience here. He's leaving the land. That's severe. For the famine was severe in the land. Okay, what you want to understand is this. God made his promise to Abraham in the land. As long as you stay in the land, I will provide and I will protect regardless of any threats that you might have. He has now moved out of the land to a place where God will not provide and is not guaranteed to protect him. So we got a problem here. So here's the thing for you and I. Wherever God has you, wherever he's led you, that's where you must stay. Now you think, well, is it, what do you mean, a location, Bakersfield? No, 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 I'm not talking about a location for us. For Abraham, it's a location. For us, the place of blessability, where we get the provision, where we get the protection, is obedience to where you have been called, to what you have been called. If you will stay obedient, then you have God's provision, then you have his protection. But if you decide to fly on your own and say, you know what, out of my fear... I'm going to do this or that, you are not, God's not obligated to give you that protection or give you that provision because you're going against his will at that point in time. It's very dangerous spiritually to do that because you're just flying solo. And the problem is, you go down into Egypt, you're going to create a mess. You're going to create chaos for other people around you. You think it's a safe move, but it's not. It will affect everyone around you and you put other people at risk and you put yourself at risk. You're gonna see this in Abraham's life. So here's the threat that's coming to you and I. More threats at every angle. 
So I'm, what I'm trying to do is relate to you that you're under the same threat, okay? This is the world government summit because the threat is a world government. Egypt is coming here, so to speak. Egypt is coming. And they want to discuss the shock needed for the new order world uh, transformation. What do you mean? Listen to them. This just sounds eerie. This sounds creepy. How, how is this transition going to happen? I mean, I, I agree, totally agree that the world order, the way it is built today, doesn't make any sense. That is, it's not in line with the economic powers like India, Brazil, or Germany, you know, that they don't have a, they don't have a, a massive role in the, in the international order. But to me, the big question is, so how we are going to go through this transform? It has to be, it cannot be gradual. It has to be, has to be driven by a, part, for, by a certain shock that will happen. So now we will reconsider this entire... No, so if your question is mm -hmm. that this period could be turbulent, could have violence, yes. could have conflicts, we are already living it. Yeah. I think the last, the last five or six years tell us that we are going through a rather turbulent phase. Mm -hmm. We have lost a large part of humankind to the pandemic because we were all selfish. We, did, we were not willing to share. We were not willing to cre use the global institutions to deliver uh, responses to different parts of the world. We have lost people. Now, how much more bloodshed do we need to understand that the, the transition is upon us? Do you hear what this guy's saying? He's a lunatic. He wants us to be more dependent on global organizations to solve our problems. It'll be a cold day in hell before I trust him or anyone else from the World Government Summit or the World Economic Forum to save my life. But they're, what, they're, what he just said is interesting. This can't be gradual going to a one world government. It has to have a shock to people to make them go into the world government. Okay, thank you very much. What shock are you thinking about? World War III, a nuclear bomb, the issue with Russia, digital current. What are you thinking? You're going to pop something on us. Maybe it's another um, P-L-A-N-D-E-M-A-I-C-K. Which you planned this last year, by the way. You wargamed this last year. Maybe it's something like that. But what are you going to pop on us? Now, you see there, this is not meant to scare you. It's meant to prepare you. If it's coming your way, what are you supposed to do? Not what Abraham did. You don't run to Egypt. We're going to learn how to go back to God, okay? Look at this other junk. New study says that we need to go back to World War II style of rationing food, fuel, clothing to stop climate change, which is a hoax. It's already proven hoax. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. This should be familiar to you because, look, we're studying. Why did Abraham leave? A famine. What are they creating? A famine. They're doing food rationing, like back to World War II, what, they're, they're creating a man-made famine. You're only going to be able to eat certain things. You're definitely not eating meat, that's for sure. But look at some weird stuff that's happening. Do not, don't, do not think these, these, these half-dozen crashes of trains and, 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 and factories blowing up with chemicals and all this is an accident. Look what happened here. This is interesting. A man by the name of Bob Moore, 70-year-old farmer and longtime resident of East Palestine, we're talking about in Ohio, not over there in Israel, initially ignored local report, news reports urging residents to sign up for a My ID to receive a new biometric tracking device 
provides a first responder's updates about an individual's health conditions amid an emergency or major disaster. So you want to put an, an, an ID on me that tracks my health. Okay, when did you want to do this? The suspicious timing of the government's distribution of this health monitoring digital ID exactly, was exactly one week before the disaster. Is anyone seeing this? Anyone talking about it? You wanted everyone around that area where the, tr the train went off the tracks and spilled all these chemicals. You wanted a digital ID on them before it happened so you can monitor their health. What were you trying to figure out? How much toxin it takes to kill people? What were you doing? Why would you? Oh, Brandon, it's an accident. This was all coincidence. Oh, okay. I buy it. How about this? Days before the train derailment, the Center for Disease Control, there's the CDC, thank you, don't ever trust the CDC ever, ever again, updated its profile on vinyl chloride. I wonder why. Removing a section on how chem this chemical affects children. Why would you remove that? And when did you remove this? Vinyl chloride, obviously, is a carcinogen associated with rare forms of liver, brain, and lung cancer. It's the primary chemical reportedly emitted during the controlled release burn. That happened with the train. Burning vinyl chloride emits the byproduct dioxin, which is toxic, uh, a bio bioactive, hormonally toxic chemical that will contaminate the food supply. If I was in East Palestine in Ohio, I would get out of there now. The Ohio train derailment and the MyID QR code rolled out uh, came after dozens of manufacturing and food processing plants were mysteriously destroyed, damaged, and impacted by accidental fires and diseases through the United States during the, the Charlie Osser Victor Igloo Delta plan blank. So you're telling me that you wanted the digital ID on everybody and that you were testing whether or not, you were, you were taking the profile of vinyl chloride, which burnt, by the way, in that area. You took it off your definition how it affects children. I wonder why. All before this went happened. All this before this goes in, in the train derails. I wonder if there's a connection. Oh, Brandon, you're just a tinfoil hat brigade guy, man. You're just, you're making stuff up. No, I'm not. I'm trying to connect dots, and I'm telling you something's nefarious about this. There's something wrong. And I wonder what the shock will be that the world government wants to bring on us. You see that the threat? It's the same threat Abraham is having. Listen to this guy, what he wants to do to you. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So, individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned, we don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Oh, okay. I can't wait, sign me up. What in the world? You're, you're working on a carbon emission tracker. It's gonna track what I eat, probably track my, my injectables from the doctor, uh, my carbon, how much gas I burned or whatever. Excuse me, um, this sounds like you're trying to control me. This sounds like you're trying to control the entire population of the world. Yeah, that's another threat. 
they're going to start putting warning labels like they do cigarettes on meat. I hope that doesn't scare you from buying meat. Why would they put a warning label? Meat's actually good for you, actually. Um, and, and they're going to put warning labels. Eating meat plus puts your health at risk, really. It's actually the opposite. But um, this is why they're hitting the meat market. And what, what do they want to replace this with? Well, Bill, Bill Gates' fake meat that's grown in labs. Oh, but the problem is, look what the studies find out about the, lab, the meat labs uh, that are growing this meat for you to eat your Boca burger or you to eat your Incredible Burger or whatever they're called. To get cell cultures to grow at rates big enough to, to power a business, several companies, include the big three, are quietly using what is called immortalized cells, something most people have never eaten intentionally, and you shouldn't. Immortalized cells are a staple of medical research, but they are, technically speaking, precancerous and can be, in some cases, fully cancerous. These so-called immortal cells modify to divide forever because they don't stop like a cancer cell, thereby defying the normal limits of growth, making them unmistakably more like cancer cells, are grown in vats called bioreactors where they ultimately generate tons of cell mass a la a tumor. So they're wanting us to get off animal protein so we can eat Bill Gates' lab-grown protein so we can have a cancer burger, or a filet cancer, or a New York cancer. Are you, are you tracking with it? They want to feed us stuff that would cause cancer. Who, want, who does that? Unless they want to depopulate the planet. Oh, thank you. That's a famine in the land, by the way. That's a famine. Okay, so what's the point? The point is, you and I are going through what Abraham's going through. We have all these threats. And, and then, so how am I supposed to handle it? Well, for number one, I'm going to go to God. Number two, I'm going to stay in obedience. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to get crazy. I'm not going to lose my mind and go running. Okay, you can't do that. That's what Abraham did. He went and ran to Egypt and tried to hide from the famine. No, no, no. It's coming your way, but I need to be able to stand in the storm with Jesus where he has planted me, and he will provide, and, and I will trust him. That's where we're, we're, we're have to, we have to be. Okay, so in trusting the Lord, here's what you have to understand. You want to say, well, how, how, do I, how, do I, how do I not do that, Brandon? How do I not run out of fear? The first thing you ask yourself is, what am I afraid of? It's the first diagnostic. What am I, well, Brandon, I'm afraid of losing my job. Brandon, I'm afraid of losing uh, my house. I'm afraid of losing the, my ability to provide for my family. I'm afraid of uh, my reputation being maligned by this world or whatever the, the fear is. And so you ask what your fear is, what your deepest fear. And then what you realize when you can answer what your deepest fear is, that's the area that you don't trust God in. That's what you have to understand. Now, the area, obviously, that Abraham doesn't trust God for is provision and protection. So he's seeking his own provision and his own protection. So that's his areas. So all of us have different areas. It's, and, and again, this is not about salvation. You're already saved. This is about your sanctification and what you don't trust God for. That's why you're not moving forward in those areas, because you fear something. 
and you and, and the way the way you fear things causes you to manage life humanistically like a pagan. You don't bring God into the equation. You think, well, I'll just handle it this way, and this is what I'm going to do. And your way is actually hurting you. You're hurting yourself, and you're hurting others the way you're handling things. Okay, so how do I make the, 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 the point or, the, or the, the transition from what I fear to over here trusting in God for whatever the issue is? How do I make the transition? Well, it is a big transition. It's a scary transition because you will have to give up your way of managing life to the way God wants you to manage life. That's pretty hard. That's really hard because this way we have found sugar sticks in our way of managing life. And to some degree, it gives us some reprieve temporarily. No doubt about that. But God's saying, no, no, you can't move in this life in fear especially with all the threats that are coming your way. You'll crumble. You'll just do what the government tells you to do. So in order to go over to this side, I have to increase the content of what I know of God in that area. So the first thing you have to do is, if I find a deficiency in like, well, I don't trust in God's provision. What I need to do is go into the Bible and read it and see how God provides for all the biblical characters. And when he does and how he does, and like with Abraham, where he says you're supposed to be. And when you study that, you're increasing your knowledge, and then you have to act on that knowledge. And that's where your faith comes in. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you have to bone up on those areas so that then you can make the transfer. If you do not understand those areas in the Bible, you will never make the transfer. God is proving to you through the scriptures that he's trustable, that his character is trustable, that he will do the right thing. And so that's how you have to make that transition. It's a very difficult transition, but it takes work on your part of of some introspection so that you can uh, uh, cross over to faith. Let's continue on. Now here's where it starts getting more complicated. Bad bad, Bad move to begin with, And now he's going to complicate the mess. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, this must have entered his mind right on the border, that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Now, here's the thing. She's 65 years old. He's 75. But do not think of them in terms of what we look like today in our ages. Uh, Sarah lived to be about 127, 130 years old. Abraham will live into 140-something, I can't remember. So they're living a long time, and they're living closer to um, when Adam and Eve is created. So that means the genetic line is a bit purer and then allows them to live longer. So what we noticed is that because of the length of their life, they looked younger for a very long time. Um, I mean, if you would have looked at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they're dying in their 900s. When you looked at Adam and Eve at 750, they would have still looked youthful because of their genetics being pure, right? They were the, their, their genetics were perfect. And so Abraham and Sarah are living long times of, uh, of life. So her 65 is not our 65. She probably looked around 35-ish, okay? So... He knows she's a beautiful, when the Bible says someone's beautiful, they're beautiful. If they say that it's like uh, the guy's handsome, like David, he's handsome. 
And there's, a re- there's absolute uh, truth to that and absolute beauty, by the way. And so she has that, that quality. Okay, but that quality becomes a liability, especially when you go into a place where you're not supposed to go into. So he has to scheme. And scheming, and part of the scheming is you have to lie. Oh, so what does he do? Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife. And, and what's the big deal? Well, the next passage says, and they will kill me. And they will let you live. Oh, well, didn't you think about that before you moved? You, you moved to the outskirts of the town and they said, oh, yeah, that's right. They're going to kill me because of you. Uh, you see, he's not even thinking anymore. He's no, there's no pre-planning because fear doesn't make you pre-plan. It just makes you flee. What's the deal here? Well, a, a little background on the culture so you can understand what's happening. Why would they kill him? Well, it's like this. In the ancient world at this time, during the age of the patriarchs, this is gonna sound a little weird, but this is how they functioned. Adultery was like the top thing you don't do. I mean, it, I, I don't care where they're in Mesopotamia. I don't care if you're in Egypt. I don't care if you're in the Canaanite area or Syrian area. This, this world that they were in, you do not commit adultery. And I think it has to do a lot of times with the kids that come from the marriage situation. They don't want to taint that because obviously that's, that's how they dealt with land. That's how they dealt with, with all kinds of stuff. So it became, I think it was more of a financial thing rather than a moral thing. So what they did is, well, we won't commit adultery but they wanted to take the wife, so they would just kill the husband. Oh, okay. So it's okay to murder some woman's husband so you can marry her so you don't commit adultery? Is that about backwards as all get out? But that's how it worked. I'm gonna, I don't want to commit adultery, so I'll kill the guy. Okay, so when you see him say that, it's not him making that up. That was standard practice in this time of the patriarchs. Crazy, right? Insane, but that's how they, they function. So he knows that basically they want to well, marry his wife and they'll kill him in the process of doing it. So here's where the scheme comes. Please say you are my sister, which is a half-truth. It's a, still a lie. It's a half-truth. He, she is his half-sister. Um, that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Now, I don't know, ladies, if your husband ever said this to you, but if he said this, look, I'm going to put you on the sacrificial altar. Um, I'm going to marry you off uh, and let them take you into a harem so that you can save my life. I, I know what your response would be. Now, Sarah doesn't say anything back. You don't see the response. Saying, Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You're going to put me on the sacrificial altar to save your neck? That's what he's doing. Pure paganism. It's just pure. There's no Christianity. There's, no, no. This is how a pagan acts. I'm going to save my own neck and put you on the line. They won't kill you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but, but Abraham, you're so, they're going to put me in the harem. I'm going to become someone else's wife. Really? Yeah, he goes for it. And here's the, what Abraham doesn't understand, that the promise includes Sarai as well. That the promise of the, the seed that comes from him is going through Sarah too. She's part of the issue. 
He needs Sarah, not just for marriage, but he needs her for the covenant. Because out of their, their, their union will come the seed that births Israel and then ultimately births the Messiah. Abraham is putting all the Jews at risk. He is putting at risk the line of the Messiah by giving her over like this. This is a dumb mistake. And, but this can happen to you and I if you decide to do things on your own. Wow. Here's the thing. We are now the victims of other people's stupid decisions, aren't we? Every time I turn around, they're doing some, something stupid that affects me and my family, doesn't it? This is what happens when a culture doesn't follow God and does their own humanistic thinking. So there's a pushback, thank God it's happening, but the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons condemns gender-affirming care. Well, good, I don't know if it's gonna work, but at the end of the day, what's happening? Because we have these people who are ungodly, they are pushing gender transition surgeries on our children. This is humanistic thinking. This is devilish thinking. This ain't coming from God, but you can see how it affects other people. It's affecting our children. What other stupid decisions are our society making that's affecting us? Well, transgender hormones increase heart attacks and strokes. Uh, by the way, suicides as well. But the left still pushes them on kids. Why, if they're so concerned about people's health, do they push things that hurt people? Why would you do that? Because they don't care. They don't care about you and I. It fits their agenda, and these people are out of their minds. And they don't care about depopulating anybody. Gallup poll, number of Americans who identify as LGBT has doubled in the last decade, but less than 1% are transgender. What's the point about this? It's because when you allow gay people to get married, it opened Pandora's box for everything else. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Remember how I've been warning you that the next step is bestiality because you're going to pedophilia and then bestiality. Yeah, Spain just drew up a new law that, that basically uh, gives a passe to bestiality. I told you it's coming. There's, there's no end to this. When you go to bestiality, which is mentioned in the Bible, that's, that's the last bottom of the barrel thing you could do. And now Spain is like, we're gonna make a law that, that protects people that, practice bestiality. And, and guess who's fighting them? Is it the Christians in Italy? Or Spain? Where am I, what did I say? Spain? Yeah, Spain. Is it Christians in Spain fighting them? No. You know who's fighting them? Animal rights activists. Yeah. You never thought you would be in line with an animal activist, did you? Dude, that's insane. And now bad, people's bad decisions is affecting the churches right now. So another rainbow-adorned pastor says, uh, God is transgender. Okay, but God says in the Bible that he's referred to as he, his father and son. Holy Spirit is he. Uh, but they're changing everything. Where is that coming from? The influence of the world of bad decisions. And then the pastor makes a bad decision because they're afraid. That's what's happening. Look at this. Oops. If you want to know if the churches are afraid, instead of going to God and they're running to Egypt and incorporating Egypt in their churches, this is what's going on. So the SBC, the Southern Baptists, which we pulled out of about 10 years ago because they were, they were apostate then, 
They finally kick Rick Warren out because he's now making female pastors. He's retired now, but before he left, he made Kay, or whatever her name is, a pastor, his wife, and now the new guy he brought in has a, a, a wife, and they made her pastor, which is a violation of 1 Timothy uh, 2, uh, 12 through 14, okay? You can't have women pastors, period, according to the Apostle Paul. Okay, end of the story. But, so they actually kicked him out. They kicked this church out of the Southern Baptists, which should have been, shouldn't happen 20 years ago. But then at the same time, the SBC turns a blind eye to what's happening at First Baptist Orlando. And what is happening at First Baptist Orlando? We are now baptizing, practicing homosexuals that have a mate that, that call their husband a husband. And no one's doing anything about it. So First Baptist Orlando is going crazy. Now, I want to say this. How come no one in the pews are like saying, we need to get rid of the leadership now, immediately? No, oh, no, they're sitting back and taking it. Well, I guess this is the love of God. Wait a second. What are you talking about? Baptizing, practicing homosexuals that are married? Whoa, whoa. There's the guy. There's the baptism right there in front of you. First Baptist Orlando, another homo practicing homosexual. Um, this guy is a member in good standing because there's, um, let's welcome our new members, David Spieth or whatever his name is. There's David with his husband as a member in good standing. And then there's David with his husband at Christmas services in the candlelight services at First Baptist Orlando. Do you understand what's happening? This is running to Egypt. This is, instead of going to God, the threat from the outside makes me so afraid that I cave in and I become an Egyptian. Now, here's the thing. I'm not even challenging these people's salvation. They could have got saved when they were younger, 12 years old at a VBS or whatever. Salvation, once you get saved, you have eternal life, and that eternal life can never be taken away. And so I'm not saying that these people are not saved. I'm just saying if you claim to be a Christian and you say that you believed in Christ, then you are demanded as a believer to change. You cannot stay the same because in sanctification, you must conform to the image of Christ. And Christ is not a homosexual. He doesn't approve of that. So yes, you could be saved and I'm, I'll, I'll give you that. But you can't be that way in sanctification. You're gonna lose all temporal blessing and all eternal rewards if you maintain that lifestyle after being saved. It'd be the same as me. It's like I maintain my bank robbing after I got saved. Well, I got saved, but I'm gonna continue bank robbing. Well, what can I expect? Well, I, I can get in the kingdom, but I'm gonna lose all rewards and I'm gonna lose all temporal blessings because I'm, I'm gonna find myself in jail at some point in time. Look at, listen to this. Andy Stanley, another pro-homosexual church. Uh, embrace, uh, they're, they're joining up with organizations, embracing the journey. Uh, they're part of their counseling ministry. Uh, they have Parent Connect, designed to train parents how to become affirming of their kids when they come out and closely linked with Matthew Vine's Reformation Project and fully affirming gay Christianity, organi uh, organization that exists for the sole purpose of furthering the cause of homosexuality in churches. Sandy Stanley. And I can continue to go on and on and on. Here's a person from Andy Stanley's church, a practicing homosexual. Hi, I'm Cortland Russell. I didn't grow up going to church or really having a relationship with Christ. I moved to Atlanta and met one of my now best friends, Gregory Cook, that I 
was connected with a community of LGBTQ Christians. I saw shining examples of healthy LGBTQ Christ-centered relationships and really started to have that personal relationship with Jesus for the first time in my life. I remember driving to Starting Point one week um, and listening to Andy's messages right before Starting Point groups as a way of preparing for that session, and I just started crying. I'm excited to be baptized and publicly share that I love Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. What did Jesus say to believers? He said he loves Jesus. He claimed he loves Jesus, okay? He said that. What did Jesus say about people loving him? If you love me, then keep my commandments. Oh, so I can verbalize that, but if I don't obey him in my walk with the Lord, then I really don't love him. My proof that I love Jesus is that I obey. So again, I'm not challenging this guy's salvation. I'm not challenging that at all. I'm challenging his sanctification. I'm challenging the discipleship. I'm challenging the churches that would say, you can continue to act in sin and we won't do anything. You could be a member in good standing. We won't church discipline you. We won't do anything to you. That is apostasy. But how, why are they doing it? They're apostatizing because they're afraid of Egypt. They're afraid of the famine. They're afraid of the threats that you're going to be called homophobic, that you're going to be a hater. You're going to be this or that. Hey, let me tell you the story about Christianity. And it goes back to the ancient days. Messiah said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Okay. So in the first century, there was an interesting uh, letter going back and forth between, between two Romans, and I can't remember the name of them. I, I, I want to say uh, Pliny the Younger, and, and, and I can't remember the other guy's name. I, I might be wrong on that. So they're writing back and forth, and they're discussing Christians during that period of time. And you know what they said, these two Roman guys talking about Christians? Here's what they said. These Christians hate everybody. The propaganda has not changed, has it? That's in the first century. These Christians hate everybody. They misinterpret standing for truth with hate. No one hates. We want these individuals to escape homosexuality. We want these individuals to become more like Christ. That's the goal. But we are not to allow people to stay in their sin as believers. That's, that's uncalled for. You must call that out. But here's the thing. When you do what Abraham did, you will, you will justify your compromise. These churches are justifying their compromise. If you talk to Andy Stanley, you talk to First Baptist Orlando, whatever, Rick Warren, and you talk to them, they would have a justification for what they did. But understand this. We will justify the compromise in the situations that threaten us or our family by believing that sin or allowing sin and using deception and scheming, that, that those things will deliver and bring about good. That's how people justify. That's how Andy Stanley sleeps at night. That's how these pastors sleep at night, pushing wokeism. They feel justified that a good is coming out of it. And let me give you the principle. No good comes out of evil. 
That's it. That's a simple principle. You practice evil, no good will come out of it. You practice deception, no good will come out of it. And that's what Abraham is learning. You can't bring any good out of this, Abraham. It will destroy everybody. And so then it becomes a chain reaction. So that's why I have this picture. You start kicking down the chain reaction, and it starts falling and falling and falling, and it inevitably falls on other people, and you hurt them. And that's what his compromise is going to do. Let me show you. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. Okay, just like he thought. He's right. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to the Pharaoh's house. Here's the interesting thing. Why do you think Moses stopped calling her Sarai and used the term woman? Why did he do that? What is he showing you by not calling her a name? Moses is depersonalizing her and showing her that Abraham is seeing her as an object just as much as the Egyptians see her as an object. She is nothing but property. She's not his wife, so to speak. He's treating her like cattle or a sheep or a goat or a camel. She's nothing but property. And this is how the exchange is working out. And that's why Moses is trying to emphasize it. He's depersonalizing her to save his own neck. You see how he starts hurting her when you depersonalize. Oh, and by the way, when you do evil, the evil world rewards you. This is interesting. And they're going to say, this is the blessing of God. No, no. This is what happens when you function properly with this evil world. It rewards its own. He treated Abraham well for her sake. <laughs> He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Wow, this is all the wealth of that period of time. He becomes a millionaire overnight. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? No, it's not. This will become a curse because it's wealth ill-gotten. It's not coming from the blessing of God. It's coming from his scheming. And he made himself wealthy that way because he's pretending... Uh, to be the brother, and well, so Pharaoh's negotiating with him uh, the bride price. This is the bride price for Sarai. <laughs> Let me show you something. Since this prosperity doesn't come from God, and it comes from his manipulation and scheming, Abraham's scheming, he's putting his wife in jeopardy, he's putting the whole Jewish people in jeopardy, because She's, it's got to go through her. She has to have the baby. Putting the Messiah at, at, at jeopardy in his line. And his wealth will now start dividing his family because it's not from God. So the next chapter we'll get into is the fight between him and Lot. He brings this wealth back with him from Egypt. And guess what starts happening? What's the first thing that happens? A big fight between Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. Fight, 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 fight over the wealth. And guess what has to happen? Lot must separate. Ill-gotten gain starts separating people. Ill-gotten. So Abraham and Lot have to separate. Second thing is, the wealth will set up a conflict 
between Sarai or Sarah and Hagar, and they will have to separate. Wait a second, you're throwing in Hagar? Where'd you get Hagar from? Right here. Look under male donkeys, male and female servants. Okay, you see that? That's the verse that theologians say that's how he got Hagar when he went down into Egypt. She was one of the female servants that Pharaoh gave him for a dowry. Oh. Do you understand that when you do your own thing and you walk into hell, you are now creating the chaos for everybody and it's affecting other people because of the hell you decided to live in. And now his wife is going to have to fight with Hagar. Oh, so they're going to have to split up. So uh, Abraham's going to have to send Hagar out because she's so cantankerous and, and mean to Sarah, and then Sarah's mean to her, and you have these two women fighting right there in the camp. And it's like, all right, we gotta get rid of these, this, this whole situation. What else happens? The wealth sets up a conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. Oh, really? Yeah. Because Isaac is the child of promise. He's younger, and so Abraham makes a major mistake. In his pagan thinking, he says, well, my, my wife is old, she can't have a baby, so I'll just have sex with Hagar and have a, a baby through her. No, Abraham, no, 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 no. That is the biggest mistake you could possibly ever make in history. Do not do that, but he did. And so guess what? When we get to that scene when uh, Ishmael is mocking Isaac, I'll show you in the Hebrew that you can take the Hebrew and translate it, terrorizing him. Does that sound familiar? The descendants of Ishmael terrorizing the Jews. And it started with the two boys, with Ishmael. Ishmael would become the father of the Arab nations, and then it will blend in with the, the descendants of Esau as well. Ishmael is the start. Oh, wait a second. You said something earlier, Brandon, that it's affecting us today. Yeah, it is affecting us today. Abraham's decision has brought this. The Jewish, the Israel conflict with the Arab neighbors that's currently going on is a 4,000-year-old bad decision for him to, to have sex with Hagar and have a child through her. Thank you very much, every Jew should say. Because they have been nothing. Ishmael is called a wild donkey of a man that will never have a place to settle. And he will always, because he's a wild donkey of a man, always want to fight his brethren or cousins, which are the Jews. And that's what we have today. Thank you very much. Now, you do see now the impact of making a bad decision going 4,000 years to our day. And it's so bad, humans will not be able to settle the Arab-Israeli conflict. The Arab-Israeli conflict will happen and be settled by God, uh, sorry, uh, Psalm 83 war, then Gog of Magog war, then Armageddon, which takes Jesus to finally settle the issue in the Middle East. It's, it's, it's beyond human, human to solve this problem because he decided to have sex with Hagar. 
Imagine if God showed you the consequences of our bad decisions and how they reverberate past our lives. <gasps> I, I, that, would, that would scare me to death. That this mistake I made goes past my death? Yeah, it affects your grandkids and affects their kids as well. <gasps> oh, I think I would start being circumspect about going to God first about doing things instead of going on and uh, taking matters in my own hands. If that could happen from that, ugh, scares me. Let's end there though, because I got more to show you. The story gets more dramatic and more crazy, but what's, what, what do we want to take away from this? You're personally being threatened right now, whether you know it or not, by this world, okay? The famine is coming, okay? You already see what's happening, so to speak, Okay. How do I prepare? You better prepare yourself spiritually by getting the things that you're afraid of out of you. God has not given you a spirit of fear, okay? So if you're afraid of some of the things I'm talking about, you better get up to speed biblically so that you can transfer over to faith and then you can stay where you're at and let God provide and protect you in obedience. That's the key. We don't need to run from California unless he tells you to do it. We don't need to run from Bakersfield. We need only run from our jobs. You stay obedient and he will protect you. But I've got to get rid of my fear. I've got to get past that. And if you have it today, he didn't give it to you. That's from your pagan world. That's from my pagan world. So I got I to gotta get up on where I'm at so I can trust him for the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham. He's a picture of us. I see myself in him, making stupid mistakes, doing stupid things on my own, making my own decisions. I see myself. Help us, Father, to make that transfer of faith over to you, to go before you and to ask you what should we do, what do you want us to do, and obey you during this period of time. Crazy stuff's happening, famines, uh, pestilences, everything is being thrown our way, Father. But we know we can trust you to take care of us, that you'll navigate us through these, these hard waters. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that hasn't come to faith, they would do so today. That's their beginning step like Abraham made. Understanding that Christ died for their sins and he offers forgiveness for them of their sins. All of them was, was buried and rose on the third day to be able to give us new life everlasting life to anyone who will simply believe. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.